Hello, wonderful humans. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple Well Network. And if you could take seven seconds out of your day and do me a big favor, jump over to the Shopify App Store. We just launched our Founders Dash and we would love a review from you. Thanks so much for being so awesome. Enjoy the show. Remember when I said I give my 100% of my time to my team? I'm also available 100% of the time for them to tell me problems. Like, I don't want you to come to me with solutions. Anything you can solve on your own, you've already done it. You don't need to tell me about it. Absolutely come to me with problems and let's solve it together. Well, opening that door, I mean, everybody walks through it a lot of times a day. It's wonderful, it's fun, but it's exhausting. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Unite Your Row. As this has been something that I've been looking forward to for ages, for people that don't know Nick Harris, not only is he one of the best humans on the planet, he is uh, in actually uh, uh, another podcast I'm on, The Growth Vault, Chase Machini, and I always talk about you, how you're just almost like the the Yoda. I, I remember multiple times you were so giving during my my tenure at Triple Well as CMO um, when I was asking you about how do I structure my day? How do I deal with my direct reports? All this stuff. And you just have this calming energy about you in terms of whenever anybody interacts with you, you can just slow down the, the mental cycles, but not in a, a, a pejorative or a negative way, but just calming people down to get to the root of the issue and the way you're, you're ability is just something that I, I have yet to encounter. So uh, Nick, thank you for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we made it happen a year later. We did. <laughs> you know, good, good things come to those who wait and the people that have been on the on the ROAS train are finally getting the, the Nick Harris special. Right now you're took over uh, Dylan's company. Yeah. You're the CEO. Splittesting.com. Splittesting. Yeah, yes. yeah. How'd you get there? Because you have a pretty interesting, you, you came through the, the D2C funnel, right? Where you were running some pretty big brands. So give some people kind of the, the Nick Harris uh, career trajectory in like a little 30 second minute spiel. I will go for the 30 second spiel. <laughs> I grew up in a small town and I really wanted to go fishing with my dad. And so we would go, but I saw people on boats and I was just jealous, right? I'm 12 years old. I'm like, I want a boat. Can we get a boat? Couldn't afford a boat. So I did some like odd landscaping jobs and stuff, saved up money, created my own company called CompuVid. Um, and I resold computers at 12 with service contracts. At 12 with some recurring revenue. With recurring revenue. And I bought a boat at 13, boat and trailer, bass seats, motor, everything. Me and my dad fish all the time. I did that for two years, went to work for like the little local computer shop. Did that for three years. Then I did my stints in retail, which I think everybody should have to do. So like I did Walmart, I did Best Buy, I did Office Max, I did a bunch of them. And then I just, I don't know, somehow I landed fortunately in some very big corporations early on in my like career tenure, learned a tremendous amount from bad leaders. And I learned a little bit from some good leaders I had. Then I got burnt out, did my own thing again, a couple times, sold those. And then yes, when I met Dylan, I was again burned out of leading marketing for several like mid nine figure brands. Yeah. You're, you were burning it down. You were, you were you, a lot on your shoulders for sure. When, when we talked. Yeah. And, and most of that change, most of that change was because I have kids and I want to be present. Oh, I so, love that, man. Yeah. So I went for happiness and it's not looking back. I'm way, way better with the choice I made. Yeah. And I think not only that, it's um, not only do you show up better in the people's lives that really matter, I think you actually do better work. I mean, there, there's definitely, I, I can just- Way better. For me, I, I just know there was times at Triple Whale when I couldn't turn off and I wish I would have because you get to a place of diminishing returns where it's like, dude, I'm working 60 or 70% of my capacity. Like, like, just go take a break, take a day off, do something, recharge, and then you can get back out at 100% again. And it, it also, um, I think there is a reserve tank that once you start tapping into and you don't refill that, um, that's, I think, the genesis of burnout. Where And, and burnout's a real thing, man. I was, it's a this thing. a big area for me. This is where I infamously beg my team constantly to do less. In fact, like about a month ago, I called in a bunch of senior members of our team to a WeWork. And the agenda over two days was, what can we do less of? What can we stop doing? And what new boundaries can we create? Because burnout's coming. And that's something that, is, again, going back to my Yoda analogy, that's something that's really hard to see, right? Because everybody wants growth 
through addition, through additive stuff where it's like you can get a lot of growth through reduction. Through, and honestly, a lot of times it's better because not only are you trimming the fat, but you're building systems and you're building things in place where um, you get just in a weird way more buy-in. So you get more output for less, which is your that's literally what efficiency is, right? Like you're, you're putting less yeah. into the system. It's not that weird that you out. get more buy-in. Like I, I did that 100% for the care of my team. Didn't care about growth. It, it just... it. That will come by way of them being healthier, happier, and giving in the areas that make sense. Hundred percent. Oh man, I love that, and that's one of the things that um, I think is so fascinating. So I guess we can just jump into it then. How do you? So one of the things that I really got from you was communicating with my team and communicating my direct reports. How do you think? One, I guess, do you think it is? personality based like is there you know horses for courses and then two is there any sort of i don't want to use the term best practices but more so like frameworks that people can then um, nuance to their situation that you really like to lean on or implement yeah i don't know if they fit into any of those buckets but i'll try (laughs) so for some reason i don't know how i stumbled upon this when i was very young but i believe that people will always act with rational self-interest. At the end of the day, they might upfront do something that's like selfless, but they're hoping for a reward. Yes. Of something. Which by definition right? isn't selfless. Right. No, I'm, right. I'm with you. So for me, and I think I just shot this off the other day, I've always played to like the intrinsic value of a thing. That's where people do their best. So in rational self-interest and in, in, in following that, when I'm bringing on anybody, it doesn't really matter about their personality because the things I care about is if you're left to your own, are you going to do a good job, right? Autonomy. Are you going to communicate well with the team or with me? It's kind of binary, yes or no, right? Competence. I spend a tremendous amount of time ensuring that people have the skills to do the job because then their their ability, their willingness, their confidence to take on things just becomes innate, right? The only thing I would add on to that Maybe, and it, this this sort of does depend maybe on who the person is, like um, seniority-wise in their career, like junior versus people that have been around a long time, is I will often extend my time 100% to them, right? Everybody that comes on the team, they get that speech from me, like, I'm here for you in and out of business. If you need something, you let me know. I will help if I can. If they're very junior, I may not offer that up at 100% because there is some trial that people have to go through right? Like you just have to, someday you just have to grind. You've got to figure it out. So yeah, I, I guess that maybe that's an answer. Yeah, no, I, I love the. I'm very much of the same ilk of, I think people take the path of least resistance. And I think people will, I don't think people are good and bad. I think people do what they're incentivized to do. And so if you can get the incentives correct, a lot of things take care of themselves. And a lot of that is, to your point, intrinsic motivator. So there's this great theory uh, called hygiene theory, um, two-factor theory. It's basically on hiring. And the whole, the, the too long didn't read is their satisfaction and dissatisfaction actually don't exist on one spectrum. They're two different spectrums. And so well, to make that more concrete, just because like if I hate my job, just because I offer you more money doesn't make you more satisfied with the job. It just makes you less dissatisfied. And so understanding what those motivators are and the intrinsic ones are going to be the best. That's why I think a lot of times um, when you're doing it right at either small companies or startups, you're able to acquire that talent. Sometimes, I mean, obviously you want to be at, at market or maybe a little bit above, but a lot of times you have to sell the dream, right? Where And so you can find these people that are intrinsically motivated. And I think that's why a lot of teams are so killer at startups. And it might be uh, survivorship bias if you only hear about the, the startup teams that are really good versus the startup teams that might not be good. But I think the intrinsic motivation motivators are so important. And I think the the humanizing where if you don't know what's going on in your employees' lives, you can have a miscommunication in terms of why they're not performing, right? Like if somebody just had a kid or if somebody's having relationship issues or something. And again, th- that can't persist, right? Like you can't always be the the drama, but like everybody goes through hardships and it's really nice to know that your boss or your, your direct report, that who you're talking to actually cares more about you than they 
do the job. Because to your point, if I care about you and I make you feel secure, excited, all these things, then all the other kind of downstream effects are really positive for the business. So in a net net, it's it, it's what you want and you're getting a more um, bought in employee. So I, I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. How many times do you, you said 100%, but how many times do you, how many directs do you have now? Two right now, but there's 27 people on the team. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, I think anything more than five, you start to get into some really hairy places where it starts to become really... I don't understand horizontal organizations. Oh, say more. I just don't understand them. CEOs with 10 direct reports. It's impossible. It's not impossible. It's just you're not going to do a very good job. Yeah, fair play. And neither will they. And decisions will take forever. Yes. I think that also breeds a lot of CYA where you just, just cover your ass decisions versus people wanting to take chances, people wanting to be creative, people wanting to be innovative. You start getting box checkers or the way I describe it to people is government contracts where the people that get the government contracts are actually horrific at the things they do, but they're incredible at navigating the government process of submitting the contract because you have to go through so many hoops and all these things. And you, those are the people that you get where they're, they're, I tracked all my OKRs and I did all this. Well, you suck. You know what I mean? Like the output sucks, but look, I can show you how much I suck. It's like, oh, okay. Is that what you want? Or do you want killers that maybe need to have a little bit more shepherding around how they're, they're containing or tracking their success versus these people that suck, but they're incredible at tracking their suck. Like I just, I, I find the the former just breaks my brain. Where I, I just think meritocratic performance is just really that that's the the top tier for me. Or how do you see it? I think if they're great at distributing their time, at most you get ten percent of their time. Ooh, I love that. So it can't be good. So it just can't be good. Yeah. Right? yeah. Or if it's seven percent, like whatever the whatever the percentage is, but. Yeah, going back to rational self-interest, everybody's going to check the box of what matters in that 10% of time. Yes. There's no freedom to talk about other things or to share problems or challenges. So yeah, you're going to make it look as good as you can for that little bit. Yeah, no, I love that. What do you think? So I have this theory that unless you're the founder or owner or CEO, though, and even then you still kind of have this, but not to the degree. I think unless you're in that, again, the top hierarchy, whether it's CEO, founder, et cetera, the only thing you really care about kind to play off your self-interest is making your boss happy. What do you think about that? Flawed thesis? I Well, no, but if you go back to, so I really hunt for and try to create intrinsic motivation. What you just said is extrinsic, avoid punishment. Well, yes. Make your boss happy is avoiding punishment. I mean, let me unpack that. Making my boss happy is avoiding punishment. Yes-ish. Yeah, yes-ish. Okay, yeah. okay. I think that's fair. I sure hope nobody on my team is doing that and I doubt they are. Well, I think you can, y yes. So, I mean, I guess for me, most of your, I guess more so, I like to tell people what to do, when to get it done, not how to do it. Like that's what the money's for, right? Like that's why I'm paying you is the how. And so I do want them to make me happy. But at the same time, like for example, when I brought my team, when I would bring people on my team, there would be a time where we would make um, simultaneous decisions where I would make a decision, they would make a decision, and then we would match up to get like a mind meld of like, okay, cool. I, this is the same decision I would make. Okay, cool, go run. And I knew when I had really good people where it's like, that's not the decision I would make, but it's actually better than what I thought of. So you, you are absolutely ready to go run. And so, but at the end of the day, they're extensions or augmentations of the boss, right? Because that's, that's what the role mm. of the CEO. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Push back. No, no, no. Yes. I know. I, I said, I, so maybe ironically, your make the boss happy is an oversimplification. Oh, of course. that's, that's I'm the king of oversimplifying. Right? So, Come on. G generalizing is yeah, my yeah. thing. Let's so, go. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a given clear goal to the team that's agreed upon, if it's hit, makes you happy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And who sets yeah, those goals? So I'm agreeing with you. And the boss sets the goals, the boss, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so if the boss is setting shitty goals- In my case, in my case, sometimes. Most of the time, no. So, oh, so, so unpack that. Well, you, you're still setting the macro level goals though, right? Sometimes. Okay, so let me, let's unpack this then. What is the function? What do you think the most important functions of the, the CEO or the, the leader is? Empowerment. Ooh, I've never heard that one. That's interesting. That's it. Just empowerment. Just set them loose. Support them. Because I, uh, that's interesting. Because I always thought it was vision and hiring. Is in Yeah, it is in, in books and fancy places and probably reality, but <laughs> not in my reality. It's part of it. It's part I of it. I like the empowerment. But under empowerment is vision. We have to know what we're working towards or for. Yes. Right? Like yes. that's part of empowerment. And empowerment. I'm just using a single so, word. Yeah, no, no. That, no that's, I, I like that bit because. 
hiring is also a function of empowerment, right? Like if I am not giving the resources, whether they be literal resources or human resources of hiring the right people, I can't empower my team to get, because I think capabilities are a real thing. And I think there are certain capabilities that you have to match the capabilities to the task, or maybe just a little bit. Uh, the task can be a little bit harder, but if the task is too hard for the capability, it's you, you're going to quit. And if it's too low, you get bored. Yeah, I will tell you the the, the way that I view empowerment is absolutely exhausting. I, I, I don't. It's probably no surprise most people don't lead the way I lead. It is incredibly exhausting, but it's rewarding in the same token because by empowerment I mean. Remember when I said I give my 100% of my time to my team? I'm also available 100% of the time for them to tell me problems. Like, I don't want you to come to me with solutions. Anything you can solve on your own, you've already done it. You don't need to tell me about it. Absolutely come to me with problems and let's solve it together. Well, opening that door, I mean, everybody walks through it a lot of times a day. It's wonderful. It's fun, but it's exhausting. That is so interesting. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for tuning into the Triple Well Network. This is brought to you by the Founders Dash, our new forever free plan. You can get all of the awesomeness of, or most of the awesomeness of Triple Well. So you're going to get a 12 month look back. You're going to get net profit. You're going to get access to the iOS and Android apps. So you can have all your metrics in real time anywhere you want. All you got to do is go to triplewell.com slash Founders Dash and install the app today and get ready to ride the lightning. Enjoy the show. How do you deal with, because I love that, but how do you get them to a place of autonomy? Or if I'm constantly bringing you problems, is this kind of where that that junior- I'm exaggerating. It's not constant. That's an absolute that I don't normally use. Okay, tracking. So, But is that kind of what you were talking about then, why you, you don't necessarily afford that to junior people because they don't have yes. the concept yet of like, hey, I need to fail, cross this bridge, build a bridge, figure out to do that. And then if there is some insurmountable thing, then I'll bring it to you. Whereas when you're more senior, you really only bring kind of the existential issues where it's like, Nick, I love you, man. I've been banging my head against this. I've tried X, Y, and Z. Nothing is working. Do you have a take on it? Because that feels like a more fruitful conversation than um, asking you for answers versus asking you for input. Yes. Junior people are not great at identifying the problems that require my attention. Perfect. That's very well put. I like that a lot. How do you build a culture around this? Like, because a lot of... because Builds itself. That's what I was Funny enough. Yeah, that's because there's that that there's the culture in the handbook and there's the culture in real life where I've done two stints of jobs where we had unlimited PTO. And let me tell you folks, that is the big if you have a place that has unlimited <laughs> PTO, there's two questions to ask. When was the last time somebody took a vacation and for how long? Because I guarantee you the answer is never and no one. And it's the biggest hack in the world. I hate it. I feel like it's the most disingenuous. It doesn't set boundaries. It is really uh, I, I and this is just obviously from my experience, but I I have talked to multiple people that have had the same um, experience as me. Like I, I, and so I, I don't know really where I was going with that. Oh, more so the the cultural thing, right? Of like when you get people, but you you have to be the beacon of that culture, right? Like you are the person that yeah. sets those trends that then proliferates it into it. How what happens if you see the cultural norms start to shift in a way that you don't like? In sixteen years, they haven't. They haven't. But let me play on on what you just said about unlimited PTO. Let me tell you how that works on my teams. We do have unlimited PTO. Okay. But it is not stated that way. Here's how it is stated. Here's how it is represented. If you want to take time off, you ask your team. You don't ask me. You ask the people that are going to have to do your job when you're away. If they say it's okay, then go. When that happens, what happens almost instantly is everybody starts taking vacation because they're owed it, because they supported somebody else who took a vacation. Interesting. It's the easiest thing ever. There's zero management involved. Somebody asked me if they want time off. I don't know. Is your team going to do your work? Have you talked to your clients? Have you told them? If everybody is okay with it, go. I don't care. I'm not going to do your work. So tell whoever's going to do it. And now everybody takes vacations and everybody disconnects and they don't worry about a thing. They don't even check in. They have no need to. Their team agreed to it. They're all accountable. That's beautiful. How do you structure your team in terms of like the literal nitty gritty in terms of the hierarchy? So you're sitting at the top and then you have two direct reports. So two lieutenants under you. And then how does it fan out from there? I will answer that, but I don't think I did a great job of answering culture for you on how it Okay, yeah, forms, yeah, pontificate, right? go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> with the intrinsic motivators, it sort of instills in people, especially in a remote world, it makes them communicate with each other. I don't exactly know why that is, but I've talked to a lot of people. I've seen a lot of 
information about people struggling managing remote teams or even hybrid teams or whatever. Every single one of my teams, and, and several times I've had the exact same team that was in office, then went hybrid, then went remote, or some version of that, they always do better remote. Always. I don't know that I can take credit for that. I think it's just human nature that when the boss is not on you or your boss is not on you, you fill your time by talking to people. I do it. Couldn't agree with you more that I feel like, in my opinion, it's harder to hide as a low performer in a remote environment than it is in an office environment, just because of the things you mentioned. Where it's like, I can grab ass, I can talk at the water cooler, I can go see Sally, I can go see Bill. I can, And there's these ways to fill time that aren't... I One of the things that uh, startups gave us was a horrible idea of like this really cool open layout. And I used to work at Whole Foods and it was this glorious, like beautiful office, but it was all open. And it was... For, I mean, obviously the big bosses had their own closed door offices, but everybody else is in like this bullpen style. It was one, it was horrific for me because I'm like, I'm squirrel. Like I can be, I, I love to talk. I love to <laughs> chat with people. I love to, you know, integrate, but it was a really big challenge. And so I, I definitely think remote helps that a lot, but I, I agree with you that I think it's harder to hide in a remote environment because you don't have these fillers that you would naturally get in an in-office environment. I do have another take that is, I guess, antithetical to that one where if there is an in-office environment, I think promotion is a function of trust and trust is a function of exposure. And so if you, all things being equal, the person in office that is performing just as well as the person remote gets the promotion versus the person that isn't remote. Do you have a take on that? Yeah, I think you're talking about relationships. Right, but, but that's that's what work is, candidly, right? Like if somebody likes yeah, yeah. you, trusts you, knows you, because I've had people that are incredible but horrible team players and they have to be off-site. They're, they're almost their lone wolf and they're fantastic and I don't want to lose them because they're so talent rich, but they can't integrate. And it takes, for what, my, what I've seen is it takes one person to blow up a culture. It's like you're having this really fun party and that one awkward person comes in and everything gets weird. Now you need rules. Now you need all these things where it's like when you have the right team together to your point it's almost self-organizing right but then you get that wrong person in there now we have to have sops now we have to have things that like codify what we were talking about and that kind of takes away from the whole point of that nebulous awesomeness that people just understood am i off there no i hope you can pull this out of me so b players don't last long on my team love that they might last a while if their boss keeps vouching for them or if somebody keeps doing their job but that also becomes self-evident because then the person who's covering for them performance wanes and then when i ask they're like oh i'm doing this right so then they're gone yep i don't know about the promotion thing i I would say that that is the norm right that's like i'm not saying it's right or or what you stated yeah no yeah no, for, for myself, the person that gets promoted into any job is because they're the right person for the job that's required, right? Like I don't promote people because they've done the time. That's not how it works. Like if we have a need and somebody can fill the need and it's not the person that everybody expects, I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, I'm totally tracking. I guess ultimately where I'm saying is a lot of that promotion is a function of trust. Of course. Because I can trust you to get, I'm giving you more responsibility and I trust that you can get things done that you can run. And you think that happens more in office? I just think it's a function of exposure. And if you're exposed oh, to I somebody see. way more because I, I'm all constantly talking to Raba, I see him, hey, Raba, can you get me this? And can I get in? I don't have to hit you on Slack or whatever. And again, I, if there is no disparity in performance, but you have more exposure to me, I feel like that person is going to get promoted. It's not an issue in remote work, but it, in hybrid where I'm always coming into the office, like butts and seat. I'm, I'm always there when you need me, blah, 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 versus I have to talk to this person online. Again, I, I just think that it's not a good or a right or right or wrong thing. I just think that that's our human nature is I promote people I trust. And if I'm exposed to this person and I constantly have these, I have more positive interactions with this person, that's going to accelerate the trust vector versus this other person is fantastic. Their work's incredible. It's on time or early. They're incredibly communicative. They're awesome. But I don't have the same exposure to them that I do to the online person. I think that's very logical. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that from you. That's that's a Yoda yes. That's a Yoda <laughs> I think, yes. I think that's very logical. Uh, yeah, and again, I don't think it's a good or a bad thing. It's just there's a certain aspect of you can get mad at the game or you can play the game, and I, I don't I don't think that that you, you don't want to manipulate people. But yeah, for me, it's more of a function of boundaries. Like um, I will ask people that report two or three layers down from me a question. Yes. 
But I will always throw in a caveat like, you can tell me no. You can tell me this is not your job. I don't know. I'm just, you're the name that popped in my head because I think it's related to you. If it's not, tell me who to go to. That's my way of telling them like, don't do this if it's not in your wheelhouse because that's not what I'm asking. Well, this is something you actually gave me because I'm, so there's a, a great book by Gretchen Rubin called Better Than Before and she puts people in the archetypes and I'm not usually all for generalizing, but sometimes frameworks can be helpful to understand the deeper layers that your personality is saying, oh, I'm not that person. I'm absolutely an obliger. I, I'm actually, one of my big things this year is getting better at saying no and I actually came across some guy that gave me like a three-step framework of appreciate the response, give your priorities, and then list why you can't do it kind of thing. And it was it was really nice for me to I, I, I just say yes to everything. But one of the things you gave me when we were talking, because I would always get, uh, I call it the swoop and poop, where your boss comes by and is like, hey, I need you to get this done, but there's no like specs or nothing. You're just throwing this basically shit on your desk. And you're like, dude, I what the f- like who am I who who do I ask about this? Anyways, <laughs> right, so yeah. What I what you gave me was really awesome. Where it's like you need to break it down for your boss because candidly, a lot of these people don't have a clue what you're doing, nor do they care. They just know that you're the person that has done this in the past. So I go to this person, right? And so it's really nice, and it worked out impeccably. Where you just say, "Hey, Nick, that's an awesome idea. I would love to do this. However, I'm currently working on X, Y, and Z. Do you want me to stop working on X, Y, and Z to accomplish the thing that you?" Just just gave me. And that instantly puts that either stopping in the uh, boss or like, oh, you know what? Don't even worry about it. I'll, I'll go get somebody else to do it. Or it gives them a trade-off where you understand. Because the thing is, man, w- w- and I don't want to say bad bosses, but hard charging bosses don't have a very good recognition of boundaries. And it's your job as an employee to get, because they also don't know what you're working on candidly too. Like a lot of times they're just, they're trying to grow the company. They're trying to hire the best people. They, they have all these other higher level. Yeah. Their priorities are different. Perfectly put, perfectly. The, the lens they see the world through is just different than yours. And so it is your job to really understand that everything's a function of bandwidth. And if you want to take over some of this bandwidth, my plate does doesn't get bigger just because you want it. My plate's still the same size. And so it is your prerogative as the boss to tell me what's on my plate, but it's not your prerogative as the boss to overload my plate. So that's your job to say, hey, my plate is full. I'm happy to shift into whatever you want. You're driving the vision, you're driving the boat, but I need you to know that these things are going to fall off if you want me to put this on my plate. And I, th- I thought that was one of the, the many, many nuggets that you gave me where it's a really nice, respectful acknowledging of, yes, you're the boss. Yes, I understand that you think this is important, but my boss thinks these things are important and these are the things that I'm currently working on. If you want to override him or her, you can. You're the boss. But um, anywho, I just wanted to get that in there because I think that's one of the things that a lot of especially high performers struggle with because everybody wants to, again, please their boss and just say yes versus it is a yes, but it's a yes, but and it helps you from burning out because you can end up just taking on more than you want. And you again, you just burn out. So let me um, let me add on to that for anybody who happens to be listening that is a leader, right? Your your ideas usually aren't that great. I have so many ideas all day long that I would love to hand over to my team to validate, invalidate, to move forward, to just investigate, to explore, to whatever, right? They are mostly giant waste of time. If I have something that I really feel good about, I will always introduce it with the following question. Is this good for our customers? Love that. That's it. It's all I care about. It's all I care about. I don't care if it makes me look good, feel good, whatever. If it's good for the customers, then it's a good thing to do. And those ideas, frankly, don't come very frequently. Yes. If that's the lens that leaders used, 90% of ideas get tossed in the trash. Shiny object syndrome is a real thing, man. Like you, you hear about yeah. AI, you hear about this. Oh, Billy's doing this in his company. Why aren't we doing that? And like, it is a, it's a real thing. And you don't necessarily want to throw salt in that Kool-Aid because you want the the leader, the CEO to be this crazy visionary that's always coming up with stuff. But again, it's, it's at that leadership level that you need to kind of draw the line of like, Hey, is this generating the the impact? Is this good for our users? Is this because, because the worst thing you can have is that the boring CEO that, and again, there's a time and place where, if you're in an optimizing company where you're you're no longer a growth company and you just want to optimize and cut costs and run a really lean team, there's nothing wrong with having that kind of quote unquote adult in the room. But if you're in a growth stage company, you want a, a crazy, vibrant CEO leader that is just constantly throwing crazy shit against the wall. But at the same time, you don't want to allocate the resources unless it's um, something that, to your point, is going to generate value for the user, get you closest to your, your, your business goals. I, I love that. That's such a good caveat at the end of that. How do you... So we were talking 
talking a little bit offline about Radical Candor. It can be a very uh, divisive book, ironically. Um, how do you, I guess, define Radical Candor first so we can operate from the, the same first principles and then, and then we can go into our discussion? <laughs> well, I mean, having, having had the conversation 50 minutes ago and now having time to think about it, my answer might be different. <laughs> I've, I've polluted the mind space. We should have saved it <laughs> yeah, for the radio. Yeah. It's fine. I don't know, man. I've, I've always been just a candid person. Like I've always just told people what's on my mind and then like take it or leave it kind of thing. As I've gotten older, I've definitely become more tactful in my delivery. Yes. And I think that's where a lot of people screw up and struggle is they think being direct is also being an asshole, right? But it's not. If you're an asshole, being an asshole, you can be direct without doing that. I think that's probably the part candor or radical candor that people screw up on is they just adopt telling people bluntly whatever free thoughts are flowing. And that is not a huge value to most people. Yeah. I think we're coming closer together. I think for me, the challenge with the radical candor, one, my biggest like still universal pushback on it is it's one directional. I've never seen like quote unquote radical candor do well up the chain. Like it, it's very hard to tell. It does here. I promise it does but here. to be fair, like you're a very unique leader. Like you, the, you, you, you are it. not usually, I mean, and again, it's a weird thing because you kind of want like a egotistical, crazy person driving the company forward. Like, like Travis Kalanick for, I disagree. Oh, I so well, disagree. Let's, un let's unpack that. Cause like for all the things <laughs> like Travis Kalanick, not really the best human on the planet, but boy, did he make a lot of people, a lot of money with Uber. You know what I mean? And so without him leading Uber, like if Dara was leading Uber back in the day, Uber doesn't go where it went. And candidly, it's a terrible sure. business, but you could, it, it probably made the most billionaires ever at the IPO. And so I think there's, there's a time and place for that craziness. You just need to one, have it usually sequestered. And two, you need to have, I think, personality alignment, where one of the things that I've found with kind of being candid with my employees is I have kind of more of a, a vivacious, very, um, you can push people out of the room type of personality, which is fun. I like being that, but there's a certain aspect of like introverts do not respond well to that. And so introverted people, what I found was like, they wanted to have this perfect response. And so when I had introverted employees, I would say, hey, okay, cool. Here's what I need. Here's what a blah, blah, blah. Write me an email or something where you can do it in the, this is where your headspace functions optimally. You're not going to be able to come with a, a quip right off the bat. You're not going to be able to match the vivacious energy that I have. And I don't want to, I don't want my energy to solicit a response that I want. I want my energy to give you the mind food to then eat, to then give me the response through your lens. And I've found that with extroverted people, I can, you know, we can just chop it up because they have the energy to match. But with introverted people, um, they're just not good off the cuff. And again, that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just their personality type. And I've found having, giving them some extra time and letting them go in their own little cave to write their stuff was a way better. It got the feedback that was more, that was closer to the truth than versus they would just tell me what I wanted to hear because they would get caught up in this kind of reality distortion field of like, yeah, we can do this. We can do that. Do you feel like personality types um, do need to be communicated for, or do you just hire for a certain personality type or is this just woo woo stuff and people need to just get it together and be able to deal with the radical candor? <laughs> uh, no, we have all, we have all personality types, but I would say it is as a leader, it's, it's on my shoulders to make sure that everybody in the room is on equal footing, right? So I'm an introvert when I need to be. I'm an extrovert when I need to be. Okay. I'm right in the middle when I need to be, Okay. right? Um, so if there's extroverts who are exuberant in the room, very boisterous, whatever, I calm it down to accommodate the introverts, right? Not all the way down. I don't want to zap their energy, Sure. but I need to make the introverts feel like it's a safe place to speak up, share their idea. I love that. And not be overwhelmed by whatever response has come their way. I love that. That, by the way, took a very long time to learn on how to identify the vibe in the room and then bring it to a place where everybody feels good, right? Like there's a big thing on my team about psychological safety or like psychological safe spaces. Like I want people to share when they're having a shitty day because I, for one, I just want to know like, okay, this is an outlier of performance. That's fine. But moreover, how can we help if we can help? And if it's perpetual, then is this environmental? Is this personal? Like, sure. you, like if somebody's constantly having bad days, then that's a, a system flag, right? Of like, what is in the system causing this negativity? If it's work related, sure. But sometimes it's, you know, like I've had employees before where I just was like, I got them in touch with a psychiatrist or something because they were embarrassed and didn't want to do it or they didn't know how because they were young. 
right? Like there's, but, but without that interaction and them feeling okay to tell me without fear of judgment or whatever wouldn't happen. So I guess, I guess I would say it's on your shoulders to balance out the room. Couldn't agree with you more. No, I think that it's more eloquently put. I think as a, for me as a leader, and it kind of goes back to your idea, you usually have dumb ideas <laughs> uh, as a leader. I think you're, you, you have that dual hat of a tastemaker and a moderator where you want to get the most, the best ideas out of your team. You want to make the, the spectrum of people on your team feel like they have the leeway to say stupid shit because every every great idea there is a hundred dumb ideas before it so you don't you you don't want to stop up the idea flow but i think as a leader you also need to be able to pick that that one nugget out of the rest that's really awesome now how are we going to operationalize the team around this one idea um i really like that a lot which by the way is where most people get excited because most of the people that are in those idea rooms are action oriented they have they, they just have a bias for action so it's like great. We got the idea. Now let's spend the rest of the time. Everybody get excited about how, what we do. And that's where introverts usually pop off. Yes. So well put. And that's what the other thing too, is why I'm such a big believer in kind of silos of ownership. I think co-ownership is, is just so putrid because when you have ownership, you want to make, like when you care about something, standards aren't really an issue. But when you don't care about something, you're like, how good do I have to do it? Or I don't want, but when you're bought into the idea, you're, you're giving it your all and you're doing your best work. And I think that's, one of, the, one of the things AJ always had a, a great line that I thought was awesome where he said, I want everyone here to think that they're doing the best work of their life. And if they're not, come talk to me and we can either figure out why you're not doing it. Or maybe, you know, it's time to have a promotion to a, a non-triple whaler where it's just w- we want you to feel like you have not only the resources, but the ability to do the best work of your life. And I, I think that's a really interesting, I mean, a little bit hyperbolic, but at the same time, like especially in growth stage companies, you really want people at the peak of their career. Not really. Yeah, right? It's, yeah, I mean, can I, yeah, let me let me try to bring that into the question you asked that we didn't answer, which is about We're doing a good job of that, right? <laughs> yeah. It's all it's all related. It's, it's all, all related. relative, baby. Yeah, it's all relative. Yeah. So, uh like my org structures are exactly what you just said. People go where they're passionate. Like on my teams for the last, I don't even know how long, people get rehomed all the time, right? Like we hire them for one job and they're good at it, but they fall out of love with it or their interest has waned or we just don't need it anymore or something. Or people will come to me and say that they're going to leave because they don't like their job. I, my, my retention rate is through the roof for employees because I, I just ask, okay, well, what do you want to do? Right? I mean, I like, do you like working here? Like the people? Yes. Great. Then stay. What would you like to do? And then as long as they can come up with something that will help us achieve our stated and agreed upon goals, they stay. I love that. I love that. Love that. Love that. And um, yeah, it, and it's not only a great way to retain talent, but sometimes those reconfigurations, you end up getting even more output out of the team because they, again, horses for courses, right? When you run the right horse on the right course, oh man, it is so much faster. And you, you always get more output. Always get more output. I, I really enjoy that. That's a really cool, cool way to think about it. How do you go about terminations or firings like because that's always like a complicated one right where there's there's it it sucks you never want people to lose your job but i i had a a boss that had um he had two great lines and then i want to get your take but one was if i have to ask you how something's doing you're not communicating enough and that thing has that has stuck with me so much why i really enjoy that where if i'm having to ask you how something is doing you're not communicating enough i think that's great and then he also had another one where um the best hires are the best fires and the worst hires are the worst fires um and i've experienced that not so again i used to work for clever i don't know if it's true but it's clever no because usually the people that you hire that are great and then it's like hey man think like for like street terminology real recognize real where it's like hey man you're awesome but you're just not the fit for the company. You're going to do great things. It's just not going to be here. You know, here's a severance. See you later. That's usually, they get it where they're like, Hey, I'm, I am not doing the best work, but the people that are not very introspective in terms of their abilities are like, why? Cause I, this is a racist fire that you don't like me. Cause I'm X or you. And they just put up this huge, like smoke screen of horribleness where you're just like, no, that's not it at all. It's just like, you're not getting us to where we need to be. And to your point, if you keep B players for too long, then you attract B players or you lose your A players because your A players don't you lose your be, A players. You, and that's the real, pain. that's the worst problem, right? Like uh, you, you don't want you, talented people want to be around talented people. And there's only so much that money can make up for because at the end of the day, they start to gain some financial freedom because you are compensating them so well. And then money starts to become less of an issue where it's like, I want to just go build cool shit with cool people and put a dent in the universe. I don't want to sell soda water the rest of my life. Right. 
All right, I'm going to circle back on the last part. So the first part you said about, I don't know if you're not communicating it, whatever. What did you say? If I have to ask you how something's doing, uh-huh. you're not communicating enough. Boy, every boss tells me I don't communicate enough. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Hey, I guess different strokes, different folks. No, no, no. There's a reason for that. It's because the goals are not clear and they are not agreed upon. There you so go. So I don't know what to communicate. Okay. So I just work. Yeah. So that I don't think that invalidates that thesis or that that uh, theorem, though. It doesn't. What I yeah. What it's I'm smart using though. It as I a, get what as you're a, saying. As, 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 if there's a thing there for people to take away, it's set clear goals. Yes. And make sure they're agreed upon by your team. Don't just set the goals and send it. Get their agreement. That is, oh man, I love that. Because again, that gets that little extra turbo boost of ownership. Yes. Where it's like, hey, we all agree to this versus like when you throw these crazy, that was one of the things that I don't want to cut your flow off, but. Sorry, sorry, I'm going to cut yours off. It's also just like realistic. Like like I might have a goal, like in my current life, right? We need to onboard eight new clients a month. Okay, that is not agreed to by the team. Know why? Because I don't know all the things it takes to onboard a client and eight is unrealistic, right? It fits my revenue target, which is wonderful, but it can't be done. That's why I asked for agreement. Yes. So this is so you're you're articulating the point that I was just going to make through my experiential stuff. Where at the beginning at Triple Well, it was incredible. AJ and Max are wonderful leaders, but one of the things that some of the feedback that was given to them as we matured was that some of the stretch goals that they had shouldn't be shared with the team because even though we are absolutely crushing it, it was demoralizing because you didn't yeah, get failing. to this thing. You're failing. And you're like, dude, we just grew 50% month over month. We just added X amount of MRR like beyond our wildest dreams, but we didn't hit this crazy stretch goal. Because again, you want the CEO, you want the leaders to be out in La La Land. You want them to be driving towards this craziness. <laughs> you, and then you, you apparently do. I do not. I, you do. <laughs> I love following that crazy person leader. Like I will march through, like I am very cautious of like, that's why I was kind of a solopreneur for a little while where I'm very cognizant of who I'm like, I acquiesce to. Like I have to respect you and I have to be like, dude, you're trying to fucking build an empire and I'm on board for it. But there has to be, that's kind of where the lieutenant and leadership comes in, where there has to be a tempering of that craziness the CFO has to say, okay, cool. Well, marketing is going to need another million dollars in budget to hit that. Are you like, there has to be a tether to reality, but I want the CEO to be this crazy mad scientist that wants to build an empire. Like, cause if not, where does it come from? You can't push that up. It has to come down or my opinion. Like it's very hard to push. Okay. We need to go faster. Like <laughs> that's not your job. <laughs> Drive the car. I'm the one that says we have to go fast. Like, and again, maybe that's because my belief of, I think the job, I, I, I'm going to actually probably still the empowerment. But I think the job of the CEO is, or the founder is vision and hiring. I think those, without those two things, everything else you can hire for everything. Yeah, but they're under that umbrella. They're under empowerment. No, agreed. I think empowerment's a stinger. It's a, it's a bigger stinger. But again, the big functions of empowerment are hiring and vision. If you don't have a vision that people are excited about and you're hiring B players, it just, everything else falls apart. I don't care how good your OKRs are or whatever systems and nonsensical shit you have in place. Like I'm not saying that those frameworks aren't necessary especially as you get to scale. But that goes back to, um, you shouldn't be dogmatic in it. You should just find a way that everybody can, I love that, set the clear goals and agree upon the goals and then a communication structure that supports those goals and those communications. And then you have that. I think that if it's OKRs, if it's post-it notes, whatever, I don't think you need to be dogmatic in the system. It just needs to accomplish those macro level goals. Yep, agreed. All right, so how do I handle firing? Okay, so the the firing thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the again, it's 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 kind of like that taboo topic, but a lot of times like they're Why is it taboo? I think cuz a lot of people don't want to, you know, uh there's people pleasers. A lot of people find it confrontational. A lot of people like, oh, sure. you ha- if you're firing somebody, what are you doing? You're implicitly saying you made a bad decision by hiring them. It's like, it's uh, very akin to stocks, right? Like, you know how many people never sell their losers? Because if I sell my losing stocks, <laughs> I, I made a bad decision, right? Like, I don't want to return this thing sure. because that means I, I'm just going to keep it in the closet for five years, never use it. But if I don't return it, guess what? I never made a bad decision. And so I, I, I'm not not saying it's right or wrong. I just think it's a psychological phenomenon. No, but who are these people? They carry all this weight on their shoulders. That, well, that. that's what I'm saying. So, it's not that. so tell us how to shed this weight. Sure. Yeah. Jesus, that is rough. It is. It's not psychologically advantageous. I'll tell you that Golly. much. Golly. So I'll give you an anecdote or a story and then I'll tell you how it goes today. So when I was at Best Buy, you have holiday hires every year, right? Yes. After my second year, uh, I was sent to the Best Buys to let go of the holiday hires because Nick is so great at letting people go. Yes. And nobody else wanted to do it. So I just did it. It's very 
short. The holiday hires did not earn it. Anybody on my teams in the last decade or so, you earn it. Yes. You're being let go because you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. That's the only way you get let go, right? I talked about rehoming people, right? Like we will find you a place if you're a valuable member of the team, but you earn that every day. Yes. You earn it. So anybody who's let go on, on my teams now, it is, if it's a surprise, it's only because they're not paying attention. Right. And I can't help that. Right. And I wouldn't pretend that I could help that. And that's also a function of probably why they're getting fired is that they don't have that introspection. Yeah. Of like, hey, I'm not performing. I need to go to my boss and say, hey. Oh, I'm- no, no, no. Not introspection. No. What I'm going to. So like we will have conversations like, hey, you know, this this is not going well for you. Tracking. How okay. Help? That's pretty bad then. Here's a performance improvement plan. Here's a whatever. Right. And that will happen a fair amount of time. Not not to a total debt of management, but we will do it a couple times because we believed in who you were when you started. We believed in who you said you could be when you started. We believe in the aspirations and goals you've shared with us since you've been here. What is going on? If it's if it's outside of work, let us help you. If it is strictly inside of work, then maybe it's not a good fit, right? And so when it comes to the day, man, it's quick. It's less than like a three-minute talk. I think that's so spot on, man. I, I think there's... um it's almost like a don't fuck with my money kind of conversation of just like, hey, man, here's what's happening. Like, it, it sounds terrible, but the colder, more succinct you can be, the more transparent the communication is. And then it, it, it's just done because if you leave any bit of hope in there, that's false hope. It, it makes it even worse where it's just like, hey, you're here because we're letting you go. Here's your severance. Here's what's happening. We wish you the best. If you have any questions, ping us. And like, there, I, I found that's the same thing where you, there's no, you don't need any like clever, any, just just get in there, get it done and move it's on. It's not about you as the person letting them go. That's where people really make it difficult is they make it about them. Yes. Right. But if you if you go back to like, remember the, the clearly stated and agreed upon goals? Yes. That's perfect. Actually. It will be no mystery. It will be no mystery because everybody on my team in every single position has clearly stated and agreed upon goals. So it's very, it's very straightforward. Man, that's beautiful. What a masterclass in management. I would work for you any day, Nick. <laughs> what else do we not talk about? We talked about hiring. We talked about firing. We talked about team communication. Hierarchy. We can talk about whatever you want. I know. This has been so good. I, I just really want to bring value to whoever's listening. So if there's something that's top of mind, let's just do it. Always on brand. I love it. What do you think the, um, like, what are some good hiring questions? Like, how do you, when you're sizing someone up for a role, how, what are some kind of either, and maybe you don't need to give like verbatim questions, but like just the, the psychology in terms of like, is there red flags? Is there white flag? I don't know what the opposite of a red flag would be. Uh, a green flag? Yeah, what is I it? Know. I don't know. I don't know. A, a thumbs up? Is there any thumbs up? or check A checkered flag? A checkered flag for go? Yeah, because right? I know personally, I prefer people with failures versus somebody that's never failed because I know that- Why is that? I know that can pick up. One of the things that I hired on was my management style. I know how I am and I know who I am and I know how I get the best out of people. And if you don't fit into that, then I'm not going to get the best out of you. And I don't care what your capabilities are. Or I put you as my lone wolf where it's like you, you're just as mad scientist. I give you money. I put pizza under the door every now and then you spit out all the stuff I want. Again, sure. there's people that are so talented that you can't, for me, I couldn't, I couldn't give up the talent, but I knew that I couldn't integrate them into my team because they weren't team players, but they could give me so much output on their own that I was fine with it. Um, but the, the thing for the team, I needed to make sure that you could tell me one of my big kind of pet peeves, and I guess you're not supposed to have pet peeves as managers, but one of my big pet peeves is people that obfuscate failure. I don't care that you failed, but you need to be able to tell me. Like I, I was trying to get people away from thinking of uh, failure and success and thinking in the scientific method of like, here's my hypothesis. Here's what I think is going to happen. Here's the resources I'm going to need. Here's what I think, you know, here's the what I'm going to output, et cetera. You do a postmortem. Where did it land? Because the challenge is you can get into a place where it's a great system and you just, you just caught the 20% of the unsuccessful rate versus the 80%, but you'll take that bet all day. And so you don't want to have you don't want to have people scared to fail but i know a lot of people that have experienced only success in their life they can get crushed by the first failure and so that's why i, I really like people that took risks and failed because they can they can adapt and they can they, it's okay to fail like not everybody's going to be right all the time and i want to have some risk in their profile or in the portfolio but i don't want to have people that won't be responsible and that won't take ownership when things go bad that, those are the things that i didn't have a very good psychological mechanism to deal with, I would get angry. 
where it's just like, dude, it's okay that you failed, but you need to say, hey, this was my job and my job did not go to where I committed to it was going to go. Like to your point, the goals were agreed upon and shared and I just missed. That's fine. Here's how I'm going to do better in the future. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And I just found that high performers that haven't had that failure or that big failure yet can sometimes be like carbon fiber where they're, they're this perfect material, but once they break, it's just a shattering. Yeah, I could see that. I don't, um, I guess I'm just, I'm not saying it's the right right thing to do. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it's the right or wrong thing to do. It was just not a right or wrong thing. It's that's fair. You're a human. They're humans. Exactly. It was a successful system that the people I wanted to work with needed a certain vibe. Like one of the questions I would ask myself was, uh, and again, this is, this is a super small team, right? We're we're talking five to 10 people. So you can have it tight when you start to get headcount things. Cause other thing is I only hired my directs. My directs got to hire their directs. Like I don't care who's on your team because you're, you're just responsible to me for what I agree upon. And those are your resources to deploy however you need to, to get to the goals that I give you that we agree upon. So I didn't hire any of the the um, people that were under my directs, but I just knew that the team that I wanted needed to have a certain psychological profile that fit with mine because that then enabled communication to be at a more productive level. Got it. That is not how I hire. No, that's a beautiful. Yeah. yeah give me, give me your, your, your take. I will at almost any level of the organization. I will take people who are good to great communicators and have a work ethic that I don't have to reinforce over almost anything else. I will forego damn near anything to get those people. The reason for that is if there's a failure, it is known that it's Nick's failure. It's not theirs. If I, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for whatever we do as a company, right? Yes. But let me give you a wartime example. If you're the general and you're running the army, but your commander loses the battle. That's sure. definitely on your commander, no? Nope, it's definitely on you. Oh, so I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily vibe with that. And again, I don't really. Yeah, I think maybe yours is like an edge example that I don't totally relate with. Okay, like sports analogies. I don't get sports. Yeah, um, uh, that's why I, uh, the sporty ball. Yeah, but in, but in this case, I will give you like just real examples. At splittesting.com, we run tests on customers' websites. Our customers make money by paying people being able to check out on their websites and give them money, right? If one of our tests introduces a bug that does not allow their customers to give them money, that is 100% my fault. Now, yes. in reality, can I check every test? No, but I can be sure that my reports and their reports and the people executing the test have the right systems, the right processes, the right QA, the right resources, the whatever, and that is 100% on me. Okay, I agree. I'll have a conversation with them. Yeah, I'll have a conversation with them like, hey, listen, (laughs) that can't happen. How can I help you make that not happen again? But the blame falls on me. Yes, I'm with you on that. I think I might've got caught up in the semantics because another real life example is we did a Black Friday, Cyber Monday guide. Um, Alexa was our head of brand and she did an amazing job. It was still our biggest um, lead generator for the year. Just incredible. We had a bunch of people in there. Awesome, smart people. Um, some of the challenges were we reached out to some females and we just couldn't get a b- any females to submit content or there was just scheduling conflict. Yeah, and so it blew up. And so that wasn't Alexa's fault or anything like that. She crushed it. Her responsibility was make the best guide ever. That was my fault because I didn't see, we were just moving so fast that I didn't realize the magnitude of how this would come across for people. And so absolutely fell on my sword. 0% Alexa's fault. So I, I agree with you. There, yeah, I think there there's a certain aspect of responsibility and cleared, shared upon goals that she nailed and crushed. And that was my responsibility of missing that as the leader. And, and I, I, I took my comeuppance for it and it was, hey, it was my fault here. It's standard crisis management, acknowledge the problem, say, say sure. you know, what we can do better and here's how we're going to fix it in the future. And so, uh, okay, I agree. You pulled me around. Yeah, I, you're right. That's a super, super interesting example. Yeah. yeah. But yes, that's what I mean. It's just like everything great that happens, that's my team. They're great. Nick had nothing to do with it. Everything that's bad, that is all Nick's problem. Yes. Nick is a horrible person. That's all I do. I guess where I was getting at to is if I give somebody a shared upon, agreed upon goal and they don't hit that goal, it's the buck still stops with me. I'm not arguing with you there, but that person, there needs to be a postmortem done of like, hey, why did this happen? How can we fix it in the future? And then was this a resource issue? Was this a communication issue? Was this an execution issue? Like, how can we make sure that these, and again, it's not necessarily that it, it failed or succeeded. It's more so like you gave me this hypothesis. You asked for these resources, but what you 
like the experiment just wasn't ran well. And like, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, that's on you, dude. Like this is, this is your lab. You need to have some responsibility again at the end of the day that rolls up to me because I hired you. I gave you the resources. I greenlit the project. So you are a a reflection of me, but there needs to be not necessarily a reprimand, but an understanding of where was the failures in the system that we put together because this can't happen perpetually. I have no problem with an experiment being ran and we just, we, we came out on the wrong side. No, no problem with that. Love that. I want people to take risks. You you had this thesis, you had this output, it, it it was falsified. We won't do that one again. We know what to not do in the future. Boom, move. But when people have that that where it was just the ball dropping, there for me, I needed to dig deeper and see like, hey, this was on you. Because without that ownership, they don't feel the upside of when they do win. Yeah, let me try to bring that back to the hiring thing, right? So sometimes jokingly, sometimes not, depending on who I'm talking to in an interview, right? It's again, I'm, I'm simple. So it's always like goal oriented, right? Like I let them know what the job requires and my expectations for the job. So, so if they agree to it, right, by signing an offer letter, that's it. That's they've agreed now to all the things we talked about, right? It's not, I'm not going to pretend that they remember them all, but that's how it goes. Anyway, in interviews, I will, depending on the personality type, I will tell them like, listen, you're going to hear from the team that Nick's expectations are completely unrealistic and unattainable. That's not really who he is. He knows that you can only do what you can do, but that's where Nick's at, right? Because that's how hard Nick pushes himself, right? So when people come on, you know, one of my direct reports, Brittany, she, she told me something the other day, I'm going to screw it up, but she's like, you know, we can't have average players on a team of overachievers. Ooh, that's a bar. Yeah, like like our team, they're the don't fuck around crew. Dude, that's it. That's for me. Right? So it's like, so yeah, so when we hire people, we know really early on in the interview process if they're going to be able to hang or not. But that's because we have all worked together a long time. I'm very clear in my communication on what we expect. And so when you agree and you sign, you, you know what you're getting. That's why our attrition rate is so low in employees because they knew they knew what they were getting. Yes. Yeah. No, I love that. And that 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 was one thing to to your point of work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like I I would basically encapsulate that in one word with vibe, where it's like I, I hired really on vibe over talent. Like again, if there was somebody that was crazy genius talent and they were just horrible human, <laughs> sure. I'd hire them, but they they get they're offsided into the the Guantanamo Bay and then they can send me all the awesomeness. I can't have them touching the <laughs> sure, team. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with and, and there was a kind of and I don't know if you necessarily need this. It's just how I how I hired. But like I had this thought experiment of like if I was with this person at the airport, my flight got canceled. Would I be mad or not? You know, like I have to hang out with this person <laughs> for another five hours or something like that. God, so, if that was the thing, I'd never get hired by anybody. <laughs> No, I mean, Jesus. this is, to be fair, I was building a very intimate team. Like uh, things change yeah, sure. when you're, when you start to, I think after five to 10 people, things can uh, get different because you, again, you're having your directs hire anywho, but, um, man, you're just such an absolute masterclass at people hiring management. I love it. You ready to have some fun, some rapid fire? Sure. All right, let's do it. Arizona, overrated, underrated. And I'm asking you in the heat. This rated time. appropriately. Okay, you can have the accurately rated. I'm asking you at a, at a buck 16 right now. Yeah. Hit yeah, you in December. Right now, yeah, right now I'd say overrated. It's like yeah. shit. Um, OKR is overrated, underrated. A waste of time. God, I love you. God, I love you. So I guess underrated? Yeah, God, I love you. Uh, Barbie marketing campaign, overrated, underrated. What'd you think? How did they do? I know it's a rapid fire. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I would say... They did a good job, but like accurately rated. I don't know. It's all relative. Like the budgets are insane. You might as well do something with the money. You had they had more. I was reading more budget for marketing than the production actually cost at a buck fifty. Right, and the whole point is to sell Barbies, That's which good. they'll do and they'll make money because I'm sure Cogs on Barbie dolls is cheap. Yeah, I, I was I was enamored with it, but I can take your pessimism. Meta threads overrated, underrated. The new the new Twitters <laughs> overrated. Overrated. God, God, I I totally missed that one. I was so bullish on it, and I I totally. Uh, the analysis was horrible. Uh, community events, overrated, underrated. I don't go to them, but I think they're underrated. Ooh, I love that. That's a good Twitter rebranding to X, overrated, underrated. Depending on your time horizon, but who cares? Okay. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> if split testing could collab with anyone, budget agnostic, who, who are you collabing with for split testing? Shopify. Ooh, let's make it happen, Harley. Uh, favorite meal and why? It would probably be my mom's shepherd's pie because it was one of my dad's favorites. Shepherd's pie when done well. Very, very good. Uh, Favorite place to travel to and why? About three and a half hours east of here in the woods for camping. Okay. Peaceful. Whereabouts? Like Payson or? 
or no, it's a place called Big Lake up by Greer. Okay, yeah, because I, I, I was actually born in Tucson. I did a little stint in uh, Mesa in Phoenix and then uh, got out to Indiana. Yeah, we go up by Alpine Greer, close to New Mexico. Yeah, it's beautiful out there, man. I mean, that's the one thing I miss with Texas. Like, it's eight hours just to get out of the state in Austin. I love road tripping to the, the Four Corners. Like, I think Southern Utah and what is that, Northeast Arizona or Northwest Arizona and Southern Utah. Like, I've been to the Havasupai Falls, and uh, it's it's some of the most beautiful part of the country, in my opinion. I love it up there. Yeah, and we go camping for seven to ten days at one time. We have no access to anything. We're in the woods. I mean, I feel like I get decades back in my life because time just stops. A hundred percent. And there's something about uh, nature that I think is healing when you, especially if there's these big mountains oh, or sure. ocean or something where you, you realize the, the how small you are in this massive universe. There's something woo-woo about it that I think is really, really actually helpful. Especially For damn from, sure. It's humbling. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. Nature doesn't give a fuck. Like nature doesn't care if you no. live or die. And that's the craziest thing I've <laughs> seen with nature because I almost died actually in Kauai. We did the, the Kalalau trail and you realize how, um, nature can go from like this beautiful magnificent thing to this just gnarly like holy crap like this i i can just get swallowed up i have no way of getting help or anything it can be uh uh very interesting but yeah i mean i'm big nature guy love love me some backpacking okay last question if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive fictional or non-fictional who's getting an invite so you're sitting at the head of the four-person table you get to invite three people who are you inviting Sam Harris. Oh, so fun fact. I used to work with the agency that launched his uh, app. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's actually really, really uh, exactly how you think. Like really nice, just jovial, interesting guy. Uh, so Sam Harris, Barack Obama. Oh, let's go. It's crazy with the presidents. And wider. Ooh, that's a pick. I think you're the only second person ever to go fictional. I love it. I love it. Uh, Tombstone, what a flick. What a flick. Um, yeah, dude. Oh, that's a movie I can put on anytime. Anytime. Let so it run. Good. Yeah. So good. And you're in Arizona too, so there's this kind of like the, the OG cowboy still exists in that area. Yeah, it's like, man. It's the best. Nick, you're the man, dude. You are just, uh, I could talk to you for hours. How could people get more involved? How can they connect with you? How can they uh, get their site split testing? Um, this time's yours, my friend. Sure. So if you want to make more revenue, go to splittesting.com, schedule a call. Beautiful. If you want to follow my esoteric tweets, you can, uh, Nick D, the number two C on, I guess, x.com now or Twitter. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I before we cut, I want to do this again, but I, I want to be really challenged to unpack some of this stuff because I feel like we glossed over some meaningful stuff only because I'm too simple most of the time. I got tons of value out of it, but I will absolutely <laughs> take up any other time I can get on your calendar. 100% we can do it again. I, I think people are really going to love it. And they've been asking me about a lot of these questions and I told them just to talk to you basically. So I think a lot of people are going to be, your DMs are going to get filled up because I think the way you think about things and the the non-dogmatic approach that you have and the, the nuance, but with the the precision in your answers, I think is so, so hard to find because some people just get systems that they like and they're like, this is how you have to do it. And again, there's not a good or a bad thing. I just find that everything's gray, man. And like, there's, there's going to be things that you can start with a really nice framework, but there needs to be some massaging to make sure that you're getting the most out of that framework. And then sometimes the the framework sucks. So switch to another framework or fit. But I think people, the, the frameworks add scaffolding, but everybody's going to build a different house. Everybody wants another color. Maybe you want two bathrooms instead of three bathrooms, et cetera. And I think you are the person that I've encountered that has um, just not only the breadth of experience and actually like output of performance, but also the... Um, just cool dude, man, where I, that's been my biggest challenge with finding a mentor is um, I, I read a lot of business memoirs and a lot of these people I admire in certain verticals of their life, but other verticals, I'm like, these are putrid, horrible humans that I would never want to replicate. But there's other aspects of them that I really want to replicate, if that makes sense. And so I think you're, yeah, it makes you're sense, the total yeah. package. And I, I really- can I can I can I say one more thing that just came to mind? Because this is the first podcast I've been on, right? Hopefully I'm on some more. Let's get you. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to commit to something right now with you on my first podcast so that hopefully it, it gains ground. Um, listen, I've got like 3000 followers, whatever, right? I think once a month, I'm going to open up like a Friday afternoon, couple hours to just have cohorts of people come in free will bullshit chit chat they can learn that's no brilliant charge. i love it i will help you fill those cohorts i'm telling you the 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 advice you gave to me at triple well i actually had a, a a proper mentor that i was paying and she was fantastic to be fair but you were i mean it was 
not only the right thing to say at the right time, but the delivery, the, the aspect, the, the everything, man, I, I really, yeah, let's do it. You're committing to it. We're going to get people on the books. We'll, we'll get the, the Fridays booked up and we'll, I'll, I'll promote the shit out of that thing. I think it's something that I think great leaders make great employees and great employees can then become great leaders. And I think that if you can start that virtuous cycle, it, it really is something that, um, I think there's just a lot of better ways to work. And I think you've identified them. Then let's start it. Beautiful. Done deal. See that folks. This is, this is the magic of the ROAS podcast. We're, we're getting the big, big Mr. Harris out in the world more. Um, awesome. Go to splittesting.com. Go make some more monies. Um, go follow Nick. He has a really fun feed. And then if you want to ride the lightning with triple well, we are triplewell.com. Um, grab a demo. We have a really cool, I don't know if this is, it's going to be out yet, but we're releasing the founders dash. This is going to be our forever free plan. So if you're not in the economic place to, uh, give us some monies, you can just use our free plan. It's going to be really awesome. Get a summary page, get all the awesomeness. Um, we also have a newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called whale mail. You can subscribe right at triplewell.com slash whale mail. And then lastly, if you want to see Nick's beautiful beard and baby blues, you can watch all of our podcasts on youtube.com slash triple well. So go find us there, um, leave any reviews and also give us any feedback. This podcast is for you. And as Nick said, we always want to make sure that we have the end user in mind and how to create more value for y'all. So um, just ping us with good, bad, the ugly, whatever you need. Um, willing to make this podcast the best in the world just for you. Nick, man, this has been incredible. I, I, I know when I landed the podcast, when I have more energy than, than when I went in, because it's kind of getting to the end of our days as well. It's uh, well, you, you still have a couple hours, but it's 530 here in Austin. I'm kind of dragging. And I feel like I just had three shots of espresso. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling great. Thank you so much um, for the awesome conversation. And um, we're going to do the Friday thing. And then we're going to do the the part due where um, we'll go more into the weeds and do some some more deep dives on some of the answers that you gave. But I, I loved it personally. So we'll, we'll get it out there in the world. And then um, Thank you again, man. Enjoy Arizona. Please I don't I appreciate melt. you very much. Yeah, absolutely. And then give me a shout if you're around Austin. All right, folks, that's it. That's another row eyes in the books. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.